Welcome. How are you? Hi. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Um, well, he's, he's infantry, but uh, he's currently the brigade commander for the 193rd Brigade here at Fort Jackson. Okay. So uh, lot, lots of drill sergeants, basic training, that sort okay. of thing. Does he like it or not? Is it too much of a headache? <laughs> he loves it. Yeah, he loves it. Um, I don't, he loves being at work. And so I, we see him when we see him. And I'm glad you said that because a lot of times people don't really realize the military life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times after four <laughs> deployments and, and things and raising two little ones on, you know, while he was deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan, I, I will have to say it, it, it is a different life than, than those who, you know, are not traveling as much. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. That's the thing that I ended up asking her or, or using as an example. I said, okay, look at it like this. I said, how many kids do you have? And she said three. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, great. So, and I asked her the age differences of those kids. And so the difference between the first three, the first two kids is about three years. And then about five years later came child number three. Great. So let's look at it like this. Let's say child number three is just born and is maybe three years old, Mm -hmm. which would then make your other kids ages seven and 10. Let's say your husband came home, you're catching up about the day. And then your husband says, so by the way, I have to leave in a month and I'm going to be gone for six or nine months. My job is taking me out of town. And there's two things that you cannot do. You cannot ask your husband to, can you tell them no? Because you can't tell them no, Mm -hmm. you have to go. Yeah. It's not just a matter of, I'm going to go to Seattle, Washington for a work trip. And it's going to help me with my promotion and and my work career field. Right. Um, And having that ability to turn it down. You can't do that. No, (laughs) Uh, it doesn't work that way. And then the other piece, (laughs) the other piece that I shared with her is also on that same note, you can't go, you can't make it a family affair to go to Seattle, Washington for this work trip, which is going to now leave you raising those three kids, those three young kids on your own. Absolutely. Yeah. So you get that. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah fun times the, the the first one was 16 months long because it was during um when they were in Mosul and they were transitioning groups down to Baghdad my husband was part of the 172nd striker brigade um during that time where they were about ready to come home but they said no you are not coming home. You are now transitioning down to Baghdad. So you need to set up your talk there. And so he ended up being gone about 16 months. So, so Hayden was one when he left and I was six weeks pregnant with Broden. So, so I basically pregnancy birth and he came home. I think when Broden was around eight months, around seven ish, eight months old. So he had to learn how to have two children, you know, so. Yeah, one being, I, mean, I think being separated from family is difficult enough as it is. Right. But then to miss the birth. Oh. We moved because we lived in Alaska and a pipe burst. We lived off post when I was about ready to give birth. 
So they had to hurry and move me into another home. So when he came home for R and R, he didn't know where we lived. So I had to show him where our new house was. Welcome to this edition of the Medal of Honor podcast. This week's episode is episode 3 of season 2 where we feature someone from our military spouse community. Shelly Hutanen is a mother of two boys, an army wife, a writer, and advocate. Her youngest son was diagnosed with severe autism at 26 months in 2008. Shelly Hutanen, a wife and mother balancing a military life with a special needs child, said she has to plan her entire day to set her family up for success. His behavior is so rigid it can change the trajectory of the whole day, Shelley said about her special needs child, Broden, who has been diagnosed with moderate to severe autism. Shelley's family is unique, facing the constant battle of juggling a military life with caring for a special needs child. Just getting a diagnosis was a struggle. Enrolled in the Exceptional Family Member Program, EFMP, an army-wide service that takes into consideration what reassignments and jobs are best for families who have special needs children. The program also helps families connect with community support and services. Sometimes I think we let the big army push us into jobs where our family might not have the best care, but you can shape that and influence it, Mark said. But even with that help, it's still a struggle. In a constantly changing military setting, Broden doesn't do well with transitions. Even the smallest change in a daily routine can throw him into a tailspin. When I pick him up from therapy, if I take a left instead of a right he will scream until he realizes where we are going. It can turn into a two-hour tantrum, Shelley said. Her book, Giving a Voice to the Silent Many, is compiled of intimate short stories of a military family raising a child with autism. Issues such as stress involved with deployments, transitions with PCS moves and fighting for an appropriate education are discussed. When y'all got married, was he already in the military or is that something that happened after you got married? No, uh, he had already been in. He was a captain. Um, but I'll, I'll be honest, my, my dad is retired Air Force. Um, and I, I will say uh, Air Force, as an Air Force kid, is a lot different than being an Army wife. <laughs> I will say. So mm -hmm. I'm... I, I kind of said, well, I have kind of an idea about what it's like to be in the military, um, but no, no, I had no idea, <laughs> especially wow. for wartime, I mean, with the, um, you know, the constant deployments, I, I was uh, very, I had no idea what I was getting into, no mm -hmm. idea. Well, I think, I think it's like that probably for two reasons. Um, one, seeing things from the lens of a um, as a child versus right. seeing things, um, from the lens of a spouse is different. And then, um, there are some differences amongst the branches. For example, um, even, even let's just say during, uh, during wartime, the air force does not deploy nearly as much as any of the other branches and then the, the Navy probably deploys the most out of all of the branches. Mm -hmm. So th that, that will impact 
the different um, the different uh, experiences just by by virtue of what branch you're in, and then there's the wife versus the child. Right. You, so. you know, and I think another difference, um, like I have a good friend uh, who's a Marine Corps wife, and at the time. She had said, well, how, how many times has your husband deployed? And, I, and at the time, I think I'd only, he'd only deployed twice. And she goes, well, that's not very much. And she says, my husband's deployed this many times. I says, I know, but how long are the deployments? They're shorter. So they're in, out, in, out. I said, my husband like hangs out there and lives there for quite a while. <laughs> and so yes. he may have two or three, but he misses half of his kid's life, you know, mm -hmm. as opposed to in, out, in, out, like, like maybe like a ranger battalion, they'll go in for a little bit, they pull them out, they put them back in. Um, the, the units that my husband were, you know, were in, he would miss, you know, an entire year of school. And mm -hmm. it was big chunks of time that he had missed out of their, um, as they were growing. Yeah, that is very true. Uh, and that's the thing with you know, with, whether it's the Marine Corps or the Navy, right, is that they have a lot of three month deployments. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, I had an episode that I reported where these two, they're both of them were spouses, and they were both, they both knew each other um, because of their civilian jobs. They were both attorneys up in the DC area. And since they knew each other, they said, Well, hey, can we record an episode together? And I said, Sure. Oh, yeah. And one of them um, was an officer in the Navy Reserves. The other one was an officer in the Army on active duty. Okay. And they both had deployment experiences. Now, um, but that's one of the things that was talked about. It, and they were able to talk about some of the differences, but also when it boils down to it, there's also some similarities. A deployment is a deployment, whether you're active duty or reserves, uh, because that that service member is gone, has to go, and they're gone, whether it's three months or 13 months, really, I think is the the principle is the same that you as the spouse are left with still continuing fulfilling the role that you were filling, right. plus whatever the the service member was feeling right i agree i agree yeah and i think a lot of that too was it is um one of the examples that the reservist spouse said was that when um even though he was a reservist he still had a full-time job when he wasn't doing his navy stuff wow so, yeah yeah so one of the things that she would say is that um, while, you know, like what, like she might be caught up late at work and she can call her husband and say, Hey, look, I'm kind of late at work. Can you go pick up the kids? Right. And so they had that ability to coordinate how the kids were going to get picked up. But when the spouse is gone on the other side of the world, yeah, you got to make it happen somehow. Right. I right. know you can't relate to that at all. <laughs> especially for a whole school year yeah i i'm a i teach at uh, palmetto college you know branch from u of sc and i just started back up just now because with his um i would i guess would say in the last year or so 
because with his crazy schedule, with my son with autism, Hayden going to school, I, I just, I couldn't do it. I, 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 I couldn't really have anything for me, it seemed like. So this is actually with my oldest is 16. My, my, my youngest, Broden with autism is 15. I am just now getting back to the point where I can teach a class here and there and do something for me now. It's been a while. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go to the autism piece of it. Um, how, how, I guess, talk about how um, the diagnosis came about. Were, you know, were there signs that you saw that made you say something's going on here? Mm -hmm. And then what did that diagnosis process look like for you guys? It, uh, well, to, I will start out by saying it was very messy. Um, cause remember I talked about road. I mean, when my husband, Mark was, uh, deployed for 16 months, uh, Broden, you know, I'd already had my oldest Hayden and he, he's there 20 months apart. So I was still trying to figure out, I had a toddler and an infant. Um, and the, the first sign I would say around six to seven months when I uh, was trying to introduce baby food uh, from, from nursing, he didn't want it. Um, and so his, uh, the pediatrician kept telling me that um, it, uh, you know, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. So that's what started the series of doctor's appointments. I don't think, I don't think this is right. Um, and they kept telling me, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, at one point, uh, come to find out my husband comes back from deployment. So now we're dealing with transition and finally, uh, they said, okay, now you're going to Kansas. So you're going to drive the Alcan with a toddler and a child who's 20 months younger. And I realized he started getting lots of ear infections and screaming at night. We would constantly check his stomach, trying to figure things out. I couldn't get any answers. I remember being in the, we were in the Yukon in Whitehorse in Canada, screaming in a hotel. My husband stayed with Hayden and I was trying to figure out through the Yukon how to get to a hospital to figure out what was wrong. And that, that started this series of doctors and ER appointments trying to figure out he's screaming and I can't figure out why he's screaming. Uh, finally got to Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. And um, I, uh, we got tubes in his ears. He wouldn't respond when I call his name. He didn't walk till he was 20 months old and I couldn't get anyone to do anything to help me, to help us. Uh, finally, I went to an ER appointment uh, in the middle of the night, screaming again. I was like, someone please help me. I don't know what to do. They threatened to turn me into social services. They thought I was hurting him and that that is why he was screaming. Two, uh, two weeks later, we were able to get in to a developmental pediatrician in Kansas. 
And that is when they laid the diagnosis on us, uh, that he was failed to thrive. They were surprised he was still alive because he was starving because he was not processing his food and he was severely autistic. Uh, that was the, I had, it was like, wham. Um, they, uh, I literally banged on doors on my street trying to figure out what to do because they told me to treat my son like a death in the appointment in Kansas. So I, uh, I found out through about ABA services. I called around a three hour radius. I was willing to live in a hotel for Broden to get services while my son, my husband served at Fort Leavenworth. I was able to find a place out in Lenexa to start services. And I would drive, I would drop my oldest off at a friend's house. Her name was also Shelly. And I would drive to his clinic and I would sleep in my car. And because I, I couldn't go home because it was over an hour away. So if I figured if I'd stayed there, I was constantly on the road and I didn't know what to do in this other town. I would maybe get some coffee and then I would go sleep in the back of my car and I had a little alarm clock that I would just sleep in the parking lot and uh, started learning more about, I did his allergies, come to find out he was allergic to oats. He was allergic to all dairy that would make his stomach upset. Um, as we got him on a diet, got him into ABA therapy. We start, I started learning everything I could, taking classes um, on how to work with him and uh, we kind of started our journey through, through autism. I met a good friend of mine, and this is how I met Lori Unum. I, I met uh, Karen Driscoll. Karen yeah. Driscoll is a baby <laughs> autism advocate. And as we started talking and um, I said, I, I wanna fly to DC with you. And I need, we, so I started lobbying with her because um, I realized that there were, there was not enough attention uh, given to our kids and I amazing people like Karen. I was like, I want to learn from you. So I eventually went to a conference in, in Georgetown autism law conference. And that is where I saw Lori Unum and was in awe of Lori Unum. I, I remember first time meeting her in person. I even have a picture still on my phone of the first time I met her. It's, it was Lori Unum and then Karen Driscoll and I, and I remember just being in, so enamored and in awe. Like I just, cause she was my hero. And yeah. I, just through the time it has been, um, I always told my son, uh, my one with autism, I said, your diagnosis um, is for a reason and I'm gonna make sure that I work just, you know, hard to, uh, to make it, it, this is for a reason. And you are going to be a catalyst to do whatever I can to help other kiddos and help him. So he's, he's, he is our life, our, our children and Broden, he's, uh, he's definitely the reason why we do what we do. This, so you said that you told him that, the, you know, there's a reason why you have the diagnosis. Um, where is he on that spectrum and does he understand what having autism means? I, I will say um, he has, 
he has taught me a lot. Uh, I, I am a, I'm sort of ashamed to say this, but I, I, I didn't know what he could understand until we were at Fort Hood, Texas. To back up, we, when we went to Fort Leavenworth, when he was in services, the, the, the clinical director said, if you can get to Fort Hood, we will have a spot for him available in ABA because continuity of care for the military is horrific. It's spotty at best. So my husband was on board and he went to his, the, the branch and said, I'll do whatever it takes to get to Fort Hood. My son needs services there. So we were able to work out a, um, a, and he was able to work at the first cab division so we could get him into a clinic, you know, right away. And um, I remember we were at the house and I was talking to my oldest about going to the pool. I said, let's go to the pool. And, um, and then we later found out, well, it's a little too late. So why don't we just go to the pool tomorrow? I turn around, Broden had his swim trunks on and he turned around to me and said, pool. And I was like, you, you knew everything that was going on in this conversation. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea that he was, that his receptive language was as strong. And yes. I remember pulling Mark in and Hayden. And I said, we have to be very conscious of what we say to him. And we have to always talk to him like he's there that I made a mistake of that. I thought he was so severe that because his expressive language is so lacking, mm -hmm. I didn't realize how strong his receptive language is. So it completely changed my relationship with him. Yeah. I talk to him all the time. I, when I tell him, I, you know, before he goes to bed, I love you. I'm so glad you are who you are. I'm so glad that I'm your mom. I always tell him those things because I had remembered you hear and everything that I say. Mm -hmm. That's so the, the, the concept of autism, those he, since his expressive language uh, is, is we're still working on, I want this, I want mm -hmm. that. It's, you know, manding and things of that nature. So um, I don't know if he can, if, if, he, at this time in his life, he is not able to expressively like tell me how, what it means, but, um, but I definitely will tell him how important, you know, how much he's loved. Yeah. So. I think I, that's amazing. But I'd love to know what he's thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, I, I think it's amazing. So, um, you said something that I totally agree with. Um, care for autism is horrific at best. Yes. <laughs> so I know over time things have changed. I'm going to say um, somewhere around 2008, 2009, I had uh, a soldier that I worked with who had, they had two kids one had autism and um, he had heard about ABA therapy, but at that time, TRICARE was not covering right. ABA therapy. Right. And his struggle was he was a junior enlisted soldier that um, did not have a college degree, but had a wife who was a stay-at-home mom and right. two kids. 
And so one of the things that he expressed to me that he, that was a struggle of his was I'm the man, I'm the husband, I'm supposed to be the breadwinner of the family. Um, and serving in the military right now is the best way that I can do that. But what my child needs is not provided by my employer, the, the army. So, you right. know, even, and so I, at that point, cause we were in the DC area, we were in Northern Virginia. And so at that point I had called Lori and said, Hey, look, what do you know about things in this area that this guy can take advantage of? Right. And he, and she provided some, some, uh, healthcare providers that could provide care. But then when I gave them to this service member, it was, well, we don't have the money to go outside the military um, and the military will not cover that. Right. What are your experiences in having to deal with that? <laughs> uh oh, wait, is that, that laugh is like, oh, there's so many. Where do I pick? <laughs> uh, you know, we, uh, we, we noticed uh, in the beginning there was uh, limited resources. And so it, it was like moving a huge boulder up a hill and we'd move it a little bit and then it would fall back down, probably knock us down. And then we'd pick it up and try to roll it back up again. Um, it, it, through the only, the only way that we felt we could do anything for that situation was to lobby and uh, get uh, the commander's ear. So uh, I learned uh, not that it didn't matter if, um, I, I think before when I was younger, I had a real issue on, on people liking me, um, that it would hurt my feelings if people didn't like me and I was a people pleaser. And then I gave birth to Broden and then with Broden's diagnosis, I'd realized um, that's not really that important anymore, that I don't care if people like me or don't like me. Um, that that's, that's their problem. So uh, the more I knocked on doors, I remember having a really close conversation with Karen on this. I was like, I'm tired of being the bad guy. Uh, people don't, they see me coming down the hall and they run in the opposite direction because they know what I'm going to talk to them about. And they know that I'm going to keep hounding on them until we get this fixed. And she said, I, in so many words, she said, I get it. I understand, and that's just kind of one of the, the 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 issues that you have, you know, when you're when you're advocating for for um, programs for 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 people who don't have a voice. Um, one of the biggest issues that I have I've told people over and over and over again, the problem with this uh, with this population this population is seen as having less value. And that is why it is always a fight for resources. We see our children as having so much value and they, you know, they own our hearts and trying to convince a group of individuals that when you have a pot of resources and some of those resources belong with this population that they see in their mind as having less value, it is a uphill battle. And I, that has been a common theme over the, I would say 14 years that, that we have been 
um, on this quest trying to better the lives uh, for the, these, these people, for these individuals. And, and I, I think you have to know these people personally to know their value and their people, their people, and they deserve, um, they deserve a good life, just like everybody else. And, it ain't true. Yeah, so I, I, I admit it's a, it's a real sore subject with me. I've, I've been called all kinds of names. I think uh, I have been called notorious. I've been all kinds of, because I'm always the one putting my fist on the table saying, uh, yeah, we, we need to do better. We're not doing, we're not good enough. We need to do better. And, um, and I think that's what it's gonna take. It's gonna take people constantly in people's faces knocking on doors and holding leadership accountable that we need to take care of everyone. Some, some people need different supports than others and that is okay. Mm -hmm. So did you guys, at what point in time did you guys, and I'm, I'm making an assumption here that you already did it, but like at what point in time did you guys get registered to the EFMP program? <laughs> we we got it right uh -oh. away. We we got we got into the um, my husband and I. We kind of uh, we had a table meeting, and he said, "All right, we're going to break this up." All right, he says, "You are going to be responsible for hunting down ABA and figuring out the therapy side of it." He says, "I am going to tackle the Army side." So he is the one that enrolled EFMP to get enrolled in Echo. It was so difficult. My husband stalked them and had them on speed dial and he would follow the paperwork and call each desk to poke them and push them to get our paperwork through because they were so incompetent and slow. So um, the hurdles that we had to go through just to get him in the EFMP program and ECHO uh, was a task in itself. We still, um, at Fort Jackson here, we originally denied to come here, even though the Department of the Army said that we were coming to Fort Jackson. Fort Jackson denied us, said there are no services here. I said, but we have the UNAM Center, a phenomenal center. They said, no, you can't get him in. We're denying you access to Fort Jackson. So we had to drive from Georgia. This was last year. We had to drive from Georgia and pull our children out of services and, and Hayden out of school for the Unum Center to say, yes, we have eyes on Broden. He's a great fit. And then finally, the Department of the Army came down and told them, you have to let them come here. I hear that. And I'm just thinking <laughs> that, like, I don't even know what to say to that. Because, oh my gosh, <laughs> I, guess, I mean, I really don't. I mean, it's just crazy. Like, and I don't know. I'm not surprised. I'm just like floored. Like, come on. Right. So, so even though, because, you know, and I, you know, this, you've been in the army, you know, to, to get to, to get on the, the, the CSL or the command list, everything is vetted at DA level. You don't get put on a list randomly. And so my husband, he's a great husband and dad. He had put all over his form, 
son with autism needs ABA services. So anytime they are even posting, I mean, Mark's making it very clear. My son don't have services. I'm not going, you know, you're going to have to find me a place. It's because we're an EFMP. We knew right when I went through Fort Jackson and Columbia area and I saw Unum and then I saw Lori Unum's face. I went, oh yeah, I already got it. Yes. Right here. Lori, we're going to Lori. And this is the Mecca if we're going to Lori. And um, I could not believe that basically my interpretation was this, that they knew, they knew more how to care for my son than I did as his mother. That is how I interpreted that. And mm-hmm. that's, that, that was challenging to, um, to, to deal with and stay professional. Wow. I'm still floored though. I mean, I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be because, I mean, I, I really, I should not be because I was in the military for a couple decades. And so it shouldn't surprise me. But I'm still like, just because, like you said, I'm just thinking, hi, Fort Jackson. <laughs> you are an army installation, just in case you didn't know that. Right. Um, and being an army installation, that means that the Department of the Army is uh, owns you. And so with that, if the Department of the Army that owns you, that established you as an army installation, says that I am going to be stationed here, then what grounds are you telling me, no, we're not going to accept you? Right. I mean, you make sense. how much yeah. more stupid can you be? Like. <laughs> oh my gosh yes it, it took a it took a while actually um and uh, th- thank goodness uh we we are indebted to the unum center because they stuck it out with us um and they you know they they really i, I said please just just we, we just got to keep fighting this but we really want to be a part of your your center and we were just very grateful that they were patient and understanding the fight that we had to do and we're still able to to uh, to provide him services. So uh, very very grateful for that. And um, I've never um, never met that person face to face yet. So I'm I'm you know the person that denied us services. I, I think I'll I'll wait on that one. <laughs> I feel bad for that person the day that they meet you. I'm just saying. <laughs> Poor guy, because uh, he's going to get an earful. Hopefully, his receptiveness well, I is... Will, I will tell you, I was talking to a friend. I said, I'm thinking maybe one day just to find a favorite pencil and hide it. You know, and one day he'll be like, where's my pencil? And I'll just be like, uh-huh, I gotcha. <laughs> wow. Not cynical at all, are you? Okay. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. Like I just thought that's just okay. So when I say that that floors me, I'm still trying to get over that. Um <laughs> yeah. But I mean I say that it floors me. It definitely does not surprise me. It just has me saying, What's next? Like what what is you guys' problem? Um because and and I won't get into it on a on a recording just for another time, but <laughs> I will I will say that I experienced something 
and had to go through um, some legal services for something. And the outcome of it, I was having kind of a similar okay. you know, thought process of, right. really? Like, that's how you viewed this? Right. So it's just that common sense is not common at all in the military setting. No. I was in, when I was stationed in Georgia, I was in a military intelligence unit. And I tell people all the time, you do realize what an oxymoron that is, military intelligence. <laughs> I mean, because... Mark's dad was military intelligence, I know. Really? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> um, and so when I would say that to a couple people, um, they'd say, oh, that's that's wrong. You can't say that. I'm like, but I just did. I'm so okay, yeah, yeah. You don't like, you don't like military miss, uh, military intelligence being a, an oxymoron. How about this? M I stands for misinformed yeah. because you're not all that you thought you were, but yeah. I, I will say, and you've got it too, after being in the military, well, and for me as a spouse is you have to have a sense of humor or you just can't, it, it's going to be really hard. Sometimes you just have to sit down and process it and go, wow, that was crazy. And then just get up and start moving again. <laughs> yeah. So with that, one of the things that I would always tell people is, um, you know, it, it gets to a point to where you're like, nothing, nothing surprises you, but you still have to sit there for a while and let it kind of soak in and say, yeah. like, really, did I, did I misunderstand something? Because yeah. certainly it didn't happen like this. Certainly Fort Jackson didn't say, hey, Army, I know we're an Army installation, but, and, and you send these people here, but we're just not going to bring them in. Like, it, you know, it, I just, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. um, now you mentioned when you were talking about doing ABA therapy, also something called ECHO. What is ECHO? Okay, ECHO is the extended care health option. So the extended care health option is, uh, they, they like to create a lot of um, barriers for care for children for on the spectrum, which is really interesting. And so to you had to be enrolled in the ECHO program to have access to the ABA services. So you had to first, a very complicated process. I, I think good, and I'll be honest, my husband would probably be better to answer this question because this was his side of, the, of, of just caring for Broden. But, you know, he would tell me, all right, we got to get into EFMP. We've got to get into ECHO. Now we got to make sure we're getting, you know, the diagnosis and all the paperwork because we have to make sure that, you know, he's, he's qualifying for the services. And it, there were all of these loopholes and jumps. And, um, and it seemed like uh, they, the, the, the system would just create more and more hurdles to jump over to exhaust the parents so the children could not access the care. Wait, that happens? I, I know. Military? It's not, <laughs> I know. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a lot to, I know, it's true. <laughs> and so I remember just time and time again, 
you know, and listening to Lori, you know, all the, the, the lobbying and wonderful work that Lori did, you know, Karen and I would sit, you know, in, in her, the law, autism law conference, you know, because we're military spouses. And for us, we just can't go to, let's say, Lindsey Graham. Or, you know, we had to, we're dealing with the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA. So that means that we have to touch and connect with the um, Armed Services Committees. And not just one, it's the House and Senate. So you have representatives, you know, senators from all over these different states that are on these Armed Services Committees. And we would have these lists on, okay, who, who has a connection to this person? Who has a connection over here? And it is mind blowing how many obstacles in that aspect you have to jump over just to get to these, these armed services committees and to work and convince them enough or as many that will vote in favor of some of this legislation to benefit our, our children. And I couldn't tell you how many times I've been on the phone, you know, frustrated, just when we thought something was going to get in, they would have a closed door session and it was pushed out. So we would always be, you know, waiting and standing by, did it make it in? Um, and I always felt for us, it was just so much harder because it was at a federal level, not a state level. You know, that's, um... I wish I didn't understand any of these emotions. <laughs> um, but you know, I, so I look at I look at so I look at it like this to kind of step back and look big picture. I mean, I I'm just imagining a conversation of yes, we have two sons. One of them has autism, and he does ABA therapy, and that just sounds simplistic. Yes, I have a kid with autism. He does ABA therapy. We're part of the EFMP program. And that's just, that's just a response that you could have to somebody in a conversation. But then there's all of this backstory of what it took to be able to make that statement of, yes, I have a kid with autism. We are, we are considered an EFMP family. And the military sends us to certain locations because of this. And my son receives ABA therapy. But you, in that, you don't hear all of this. Right. And, you know, and, and, <laughs> and, you know what, one thing that I, that I didn't, that I didn't tell you, Tiffany, that, um, and I'm going to try not to get emotional because it, it, it does strike a chord with me, even just looking back. Um, when we were trying to get, you know, fight for a diagnosis in Kansas, uh, remember we, we didn't know if he could hear or not. So we had gotten him into an, uh, for an auditory brainstem response test. They basically put him under and they look at the, you know, the, the brain, you know, how is the brain operating when he hears sound so we can see if he actually can hear or not. And after that, uh, visit, uh, they said, okay, he can hear. And I was like, well, no, he can't. You just saw me. I clapped behind his hand, his, his head and, and he doesn't respond. And they said, well, we can't help you with that. All I'm telling you is you can, he can hear. You're going to have to go figure that out at the, with the doctor. So I remember being back in a hotel room, uh, cause we were going to travel back the next day. 
and I was searching, you know, child acts like he can hear, acts like he can't hear, but he really can hear. I didn't even know what to search to figure out because autism was not even on my, I remember calling an early child and my husband was in the room with me <laughs> the time my son was still out from the, the, the procedure. And I called an early childhood development program in Kansas. And she said, I said, can I talk to your director? Because I was at this point at my wits end. I needed to figure out how to go from here because no one was helping us. And she says, I'm sorry, it's the end of the day. Um, she's not available. And I said, and I don't know what came over me, Tiffany, but I, and my husband was like, whoa. I'd reached my rock bottom when I said, if you do not get me your director, I'm going to jump out of this hotel window and kill myself. So either you give me the director or I'm dead. So which one is it? And then she finally said, or I'm going to get you the director. And that's when she was able to answer my questions. And she goes, I think he has autism. That sounds like autism. You need to get with the developmental pediatric team. That's what you need. And I was like, thank you. So I thought if, if the system is so flawed back in 2007, eight, that I had to threaten to throw myself out of a window to get someone to help me, something was wrong with the system. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no, I mean, I say, yeah, because it's, I mean, that's, man, what's my blood pressure now? Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry. I don't mean, I'm just being very honest. I'm sorry. No, I, no, it's okay. Uh, no, it's okay. I mean, I say, what's my blood pressure now? I mean, because it is frustrating. Um, and it is, I say it's frustrating because, well, one, because it is, but I mean, it's frustrating because whether it's autism or something else that right. you're trying to figure out what's going on with me or what's going on with my family members, um, you shouldn't have to pull teeth as much as you do just to figure out what's going on with your son. Right, so right. That, that's why, you know, that's why, you know, that's why I say, man, what's my blood pressure right now? <laughs> because, I mean, why do you have to say, all right, I'm at my wits end. Either I jump out the window or you jump out your seat to get your director. Which is it? choice is yours right I mean, to, to have to be at that point for you personally to to have to say something like that I mean you're yeah. supposed to be making this process easier not more difficult right so, right and and I the reason why I mean I say that to you is because your your point was I mean it was very powerful when I heard you say it just sounds so easy oh, my son has autism, he's received services, we're in the program, it's like, it does, it sounds so easy, oh, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that story came back to me of, of, wow, to be able to say that, I've got lots of scars and, I'm pretty banged up, you know, <laughs> to be mm -hmm. able to 
say that. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's why, but, but that is why I made that comment. Yeah, it's because, true. yeah, like, you know, I mean, whether it's, I mean, and this is not an extreme example, but whether you say, yes, I do have a prosthetic leg because my leg got blown off. Yeah. And, the, or, um, yeah, I have PTSD because I saw some things I wish I never saw. Yeah, my kid has autism because, um, but I didn't know until this much time had gone by because it took that long to figure it out. You know, which, so when people, I, I, I think many times in conversations, people don't look past that surface answer. Right. To know what all that means or what all that entails. Because when you when you're missing a limb, um, and you get a prosthetic leg, it's more than leg gets blown off, a new leg gets put on. Right. It's it's right. not that simple. No, <laughs> no, it's not. I know. And life is messy, and people are messy, and um, I think that is one thing. Uh, one of the the millions of lessons that Broden has taught us. Um, Broden was, when we say that our child was a gift, you know, some people go, oh, you say that because you're supposed to say that. And I said, no, he opened our eyes to truly, um, that we are, we are flawed. We're openly flawed and that's okay. And, uh, <coughs> and, uh, it's life is messy and, and you just embrace the, the messiness that goes along with it, you know, and, we are openly with, even with Mark's command, everyone knows about Broden and we've even had families come, hey, we need help. Our son has autism, we need help. And it's like, come on over, you know, it's, um, this is life. It's not. And, yeah, and when you said embrace it, I will use the, the military lingo for that. Oh, um, and that is in the military, we say you embrace the suck. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, yes, yeah. <laughs> you do. Um, yeah, that, you know, that's one of the things for, for, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with me personally as to why I have this approach in doing this podcast. I decided to do this podcast um, because I wanted to, and still want to humanize the uniform mm -hmm. because I think so many times you see a service member in uniform and the things that come to mind are, um, patriotic, a hero, a warrior, a, you know, whatever word or terms that term that people use to describe what they see. Um, and I was actually a guest on somebody else's podcast. And we were talking about um, a presentation that had happened the day before. And this person who was presenting was an, a retired Air Force pilot. And that retired Air Force pilot had made the comment um, of how she always made a point to create an environment when she was the one in charge of it's okay, it's okay to screw up. It's okay to make a mistake. Just mm -hmm. learn from it. Mm -hmm. um, and so the question that this person asked me was, uh, she quoted the, the, how that person actually phrased it and said, she said, that's not normal in the military, is it? I mean, certainly it can't be because 
um, it just, that's not military like. And I said, actually it is. And she said, but how, how so? I'm like, okay, well, before I answer it, tell me why that's such a, a, a difficult thing to grasp. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I, when I think about the military, I think about this elite fighting force, like a well-oiled machine that, you know, you, the people in uniform go and fight wars and they win. And I'm like, and so I said, great, that's awesome. Um, yes, absolutely. So can I tell you that maybe both can be true? Yeah. And, and she said, well, how can, you're going to need to explain that one. I said, I absolutely will. And, and, and I told her, I said, to this elite fighting force that is made up with all these branches of the military, all of these branches of the military are an elite fighting force. Absolutely. But you used a word earlier when you asked that. You said this elite fighting force are people that go to the other side of the world and win wars. Mm-hmm. Did you catch the word people? Yes. Right. Um, I said, you said it. I said, so while collectively as a whole, it's an elite fighting force, this fighting force is made up of people. Mm-hmm. Now, I, not to get religious or anything, but there's only one person that I've heard of that was perfect. Yeah. And he did not wear a camouflage uniform. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with that, people are flawed. People yeah. make mistakes. People screw up. People mess up. Whatever term- terminology you want to use. <coughs> so, so while it is an elite fighting force, we train, we do things over and over to gain that muscle memory to learn how to do different things at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's bound to not work because somebody within this team, this fighting force, um, didn't do a part correctly. So they go over it again. Mm-hmm. I said, people aren't, so my point being, people are not perfect. People are flawed uh, and it's just human nature. That's just the way people are. So with that, um, this person that we were talking about, she set it up, she made it clear to dispel that image that you have of the military and not so much to dispel it, but to say, hey, um, that we, in order for us to be an elite fighting force, Right. We have to be honest with what our flaws are so we can improve them. You, you know, but I, I will say, though, too, being flawed and showing people your flaws. Uh, I, I know I, I ha- you know, I'll tell you a quick story. And, and, and what it taught me a lot when Mark was in battalion command. This was at Fort Benning. We were having a Halloween party and we were about ready to run out the door. And Broden came downstairs covered in ink. And we're like, whoa. So I, I grabbed Broden, threw him in the tub. Ink was, uh, he had gotten hold of an ink stamp. Okay. And, and just inked himself, inked our television, inked the whole sunroom in our house. So Mark texted, and all he did was take pictures of Broden's hands with ink, ink all over his face in the ink room and said, we will get there as soon as we can. So we scrubbed him down and we were about 20 minutes late. And I remember the whole time there, we were thinking, I mean, I told Mark, I said, 
I bet your unit is so just feeling they got a raw deal because they got us, you know, of all the people, you know, they got us. We can't even get to something on time because we're so crazy. We just can't get our stuff together, you know? And I came running in, I guess those pictures had gone all over the unit. Everybody saw them, we're like, hey, don't worry about it. Get her when you can. And, and I admit, I was feeling guilty. Like we, we, we had this plan to get there on time. But I remember his name was Chaplain Howell. He was one of our chaplains who I loved. And I remember him grabbing me because I kept apologizing. And he says, he goes, thank you. I said, for what? And he goes, for being a mess. And mm -hmm. I'm like, what? I thought you guys would be mad at us. And he said, no, because one day or, an, I mean, there is going to be a day where it's going to be someone else's turn and it's going to be the other one's turn and they're going to feel open to say, this is what happened. You know, they said, thank you for just being a mess and not hiding it. And I had realized that our messes, it was okay. And it was mm -hmm. okay to talk about it. That didn't mean that we were um, holding the team back. Mm -hmm. by, by doing yeah. That. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Um, I like you, man. We got to do this again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I just. Yeah. And, and so that's why. Yeah, that's why I want to do the podcast. I, you know, I, you know having, because. I want people, to, you know, my hope, my hope is, is three things. This is what I tell people when, when they ask, why are you doing a podcast? Okay. And I tell them one, the person, the, the, the service member or the veteran. And when I say that I include spouses, I really do. Yeah, but yeah. The, the service member or the veteran um, needs a platform to tell their story. Yes. Uh, There's whatever that looks like. Their real raw story, not their bio and list of accomplishments, but their story. And, um, and then there's a service member or a veteran out there who's going to listen to the episode who needs some encouragement to know that they're not alone because they just heard somebody share on a podcast um, yeah. something very similar to th that they're going through. And then the third thing is to educate those people who are not associated with the military and veteran communities. Mm -hmm. um, because somebody can hear, like we were saying earlier, somebody can hear that statement of, oh yeah, we just got here to Fort Jackson. I have two kids. Um, these are their ages and one has autism. He does ABA therapy. Hey, great, next. Yeah. And they don't know what all's behind that. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So that's what I want to do. I want to bring different things to light. And it's been amazing so far that's just awesome. to hear the different stories. Um, great. I'm glad so, you're doing this. Yeah. And, and the, so with that, the thing that I would ask you is, you know, at this point, as we close it out, would be to the person who, you know, is whether they're a parent, a single parent, whatever the case may be, who has a child with autism or just got that diagnosis um, or is having to deal with life as a parent with somebody who is autistic, 
what would you tell them? Like what, what message would you give that person um, so that they can make it? Well, the first thing I would say is that they're not alone. I think that is the first uh, a theme. And also what I had felt is that I was all alone and I was the only one that was dealing with this. And so the second thing is you're not, okay, the first thing is you're not alone. And the second thing, talk about it. Talk about it and reach out for resources. Uh, even Facebook, uh, the, this, uh, there's a lot of great uh, pages out there that are very military friendly. And I have seen posts of just, I'm scared. I just got a diagnosis and they will just be 50 posts. You got this girl. This is the first thing you need to do. And then you got to do this. So everyone rallies and wraps their arms around those people. And it, it can be virtual if you're still in your home and still trying to, to, to you know, get through this. And there's other resources out there. And I, I'm going to say um, the more you talk about it and the more connections you make, it'll empower you and say there's there's always, you just do one step at a time. And before you know it, you're going to look back and go, oh my gosh, look how far we've come. I had no idea. And it's a, it's a marathon and you're going to have highs and lows. But those lows that you experience, man, it makes those highs feel that much better. So work through the lows so you can get ready to feel the highs. And that's, you're, you're, you'll get there, you know? That's awesome. Enough saying. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> drop the mic. Um, all right. Mic drop. Drop the mic. <laughs> um, <clears throat> if, I think it, that reminded me, though, that I, I want to ask one more question. I'm like, I feel bad asking another question no. after that, because that's the perfect way to end it. But, the, but that question would be... Um, I know you said that your husband handled this, this aspect of it um, mm -hmm. more, but um, what about, what is, is there anything that you could share about the person who is maybe grappling with the getting into the EFMP program and getting that desired um, type of therapy, whether it's ABA or whatever else? So uh, the first thing what I, what I would do is uh, reach out there are families out there, and you know a lot of them. You can get through the you know the EFMP ACS program, or from an ABA clinic who has already a parent who's who's active duty that has a child accessing those services. Talk to the people who have figured it out. Don't recreate the wheel all the time. I feel like you you have these people out here that have already had it going. Go straight to them. How did you do it? And then you start sketching it out. And a lot of times, if you can't find someone, reach out to an ABA clinic and they will tell you the steps to go if you cannot access and if someone at EFMP, that'll help you. There are people out there that have already done this. Find that path and, and go through that path. Don't hack down the weeds yourself. Okay, there's people out there that have already created those paths. Find them and get on one. So in other words, this is the one time 
that you don't want to march to the beat of a different drummer <laughs> and go down your own path. You can, okay, you can have your own dance as you're going through the path. <laughs> you know, you, know, it's, yeah. you can do it your way. It's just, you know, I mean, uh, you know, for a, more on a personal note, um, as, as Broden get, is getting older, uh, I'm, I'm petrified. I'll be honest. I'm petrified. Uh, he's 15. But I see Lori Unum and I see her son. And I admit, they're my guide. Things don't feel as scary because then I see Lori doing it. And I'm like, look at her. She's doing it. And she's doing, she's plowing through. Oh, I'm right behind Lori doing my dance because it's not as scary. Because I have a friend. I, I have, there's a little light in front that, that's helping me. And I may have to cut this part out that I'm going to say, but um, <laughs> but I, I can say, uh, not that I know Lori's family or anything, but if I did, <laughs> you know, being in the family, that is one pioneering family. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, that is something that I think, that I think uh, anybody within the Sheely family, you want to see them do something, tell them that they can't. Yes. And well, if you say, up on that, I picked mm -hmm. up on that. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, because I even think about that with, with me. Somebody, um, I remember contemplating joining the military. I was going, I would pass a recruiting station every day. I'd be going to, to college in, in the Charleston area. And um, I stopped by, you know, checked it out. And I went to MEPS and I actually got turned away because I was underweight. Oh my I didn't God. weigh enough. I know, right? Like, who has that problem? Um, I certainly don't have that problem now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was, and I was also, I was working at a grocery store at this time. And that next day that I'd gone to the grocery store, somebody said, or asked me, So did you do it? And I said, Well, I got turned away. Um, but I can go back, you know, in a couple weeks. And they said, see, I knew you couldn't do it. And I looked at them and I'm like, yep, you just made up my mind. Yeah, now I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? I'm either going to do my four years in the military. Or I'm going to die trying because you just told me I couldn't do it. And then that four years turned into 24 years. So <laughs> go figure. But, wow. yeah, it is what it is. I appreciate you doing this. No, I really do. You. Thank you so much for, for, you know, inviting me. I had a lot of fun. This was great talking with you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Somebody, uh, after, after uh, a recent episode, somebody said, I didn't even realize we started recording. Oh. <laughs> Hey, that's a gift. That, that means you're gifted because it was so smooth. Yeah. I, and I told him, I said, well, first of all, that's why I have it. I have it set automatically that every time I get on to the podcast, it's already automatically recording when I log in. Okay. So that I don't forget and then have a great conversation and go, oh, shoot. Yeah, we need right. to do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you say that again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I even have it set to do to automatically do a live transcription. Um, 
so it displays on my on my screen as we're doing it but then in the message notes uh -huh. um when i publish it i can put the link in there so for people who might have um hearing issues um they can read the transcript oh that's great yeah. that's great yeah i try to be as accommodating as possible right um and it's audio only um I, one of the things that yeah I, i'm just i don't I was on a, a phone call on a conference call yesterday about, and we were talking about this and, they, and the person who was running it said, why don't you do video? I'm like, I want to gain listeners, not throw them away. And if they see this, oh, then, <laughs> I mean, that was what, that's what my response was. Um, full disclosure. But <laughs> well, my husband was, my husband was wondering why I was brushing my hair. I was like, well, I don't know if it's going to be, you know, the camera. I got to brush my hair. I just got enough well, this morning. <laughs> and I like the blue shirt too, by the way. You like the, yeah, yeah, I like that. Uh -huh. I was trying. I was trying. Yep. <laughs> yeah. See, I like the sign language too. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> yeah. uh, but that is something that I did share with them uh, yesterday too, is that if I do end up doing um, a video as well, I want sign language included in it too. Oh yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, I mean, because I do, I, I just want things to be as accommodating as possible. I don't, I, I don't want, I, I guess it's a means of eliminating, eliminating excuses as to why somebody says, oh no, I don't listen to your podcast because X, Y, and Z. Right. And right. I've got, to, I have gotten compliments from people of them saying that they like this audio and they don't sit because they don't feel like they have to be glued to a screen. Right. Um, uh, one person said that they would listen to it while they go on a run. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, so I'm looking, it says we have been recording for an hour and 16 minutes. Okay. And so like all this extra conversation that we're having right now. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll cut out any, maybe any dead space that there is within the conversation I'll cut out. Generally, the episodes be, uh, will be anywhere from like 35 minutes to 55 minutes. Okay. And so for some, for a lot of people, that's a good thing to, that's a good length. Because uh, initially I said I want it to be like a TED Talk where it's 18 to 25 minutes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um but you can't get these real authentic stories in that time frame. Right. It, and, you know, if you think about it, TED Talks are very rehearsed. Yes. You know. That's the phone call that I was on yesterday, interestingly enough, is oh. um, TED Talks. Oh. And, um, you know, it's about, they, and they talk about how you know, a couple of them were TED Talk, TED Talk coaches. And they said that they... One of the things is that when you do TED Talks, you do have to memorize your presentation. Oh. And, and, and so with that, then you have, it, you have to memorize it. Um, but it's, you know, it's not, it's not one of those things where like every word must be recited accurately 100%. But having that full 18 minutes memorized so that when you do the presentation and, and rehearsing it enough to where then you're, you're, you can not only have the word stored up in your head, but to then be able to present it as if you were just conversing 
And I'm like, yeah, no, we're just going to converse. <laughs> you know, and I'll be honest with you, that, that is harder. Uh, you know, I, I'm a speech teacher. That's the class that I, that I teach. And yeah. so let, let, let me tell you, you know, when you, when you can sit, when you, when you scope out and teach on how to do it, and then once you get up on the podium to do it, it's, it's a different ball game. It's, mm -hmm. it takes lots of practice. I'll be honest with you. A lot of yeah. practice. And even for me, when I was an instructor, um, for me, it was second nature. I didn't have to memorize anything, but the army definitely has a, you know, you, you, there's a course called the instructor trainer course, and you have to go through it to be able to be an instructor. And right. there are certain things you have to do, like you have to put the slides up on the behind you. Um, there, and there's and there's even a binder that has these are your key points. And, he, and you could you could ultimately end up reading out of this binder because it tells you what you have to say. Right. Um, now, I learned that in the course. And when I passed my certification, I kind of did that kind of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what why I passed my certification first time without any issue is because I was teaching a course that I had done for 15 years. Wow. So I was teaching from my experience. When I actually taught, I, I only had the binder on the podium and the slides up on the wall behind me because it was required of me. Yeah. And I would have people, at one student at my, my second class that I ever taught, I remember at lunch, this, these two students came back and I was grading some of the papers and they said they were talking about me, but I didn't really, I wasn't fully paying attention because I was focused on what I was doing. And then I heard, how do you do it? And then I didn't hear anything. I was like, oh, wait, you're talking to me. <laughs> um, how, sorry, how do I do what? I'm, th I'm thinking they have a, a question about some of the materials covered. How long have you been teaching? Do you do this on the civilian side? Um, and I said, oh, no, this is my second, my second course. And they said, and they laughed. They said, no, really, how long have you been doing it? I said, no, really, this is my second course. Wow. <laughs> but, you know, because I, I think for me, I put myself in the, if I was sitting in the audience as a student, how would I want to receive it? Yes. So that is good. Yay! I have the stamp of approval from an yes. autistic mom. <laughs> I'm good to go. My day is complete. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do appreciate it. So what I'm gonna do is I you know I'm gonna I'm gonna edit it and then um once I once I know when I'm going to publish it, I'll let you know, and I'll also send you a picture of the cover art that's going to be associated with your episode. So, oh, that's awesome! Well, thank yeah. you so much. This is I'm sure there's going to be blue somewhere in the background or something. <laughs> hey, uh, I I'm very I'm used to that. Don't worry about that. That just means it's real. So. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, I think I'm going to have to contact Laurie and say, hey. Since you were talked about in this episode, I need you to come on and do a recording too. Yes, yes. I'm hey, I would I'd listen to that one definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. When, when, when she and I were talking, she, so I was over at her house and we, we went on a, a walk around her neighborhood with one of her other sons. And, um, I, told, I was telling her about the podcast uh-huh. and, and just the different things. And, she, and I remember, I don't remember all that we were talking about, but I remember say, telling her about that same soldier that I told you about. Mm-hmm. And she said, and she asked the question, well, how does somebody not know about EFMP? I said, Laurie, everybody is not like us. Everybody doesn't just say, okay, I have a person in my family that has some sort of special need. What programs do you have for me, Army? <laughs> you don't, not everybody thinks like that. You're right. So You're right. while it's second nature to you to say, okay, there's got to be something out there. And, and I'll even take Laurie a step further. With her, she would say, there's got to be a program out there for me. And if there's not, we need to get one started. And that is why I'll tell you, um, I, I am so, um, I, I admit, I, I love Lori so much because she, she is the type of person, if it doesn't exist, we're going to build it. And when we build it, they're going to come. Thank you. Have a nice day.